Good evening, everyone. <laughs> having, having some fun. So, well, I've hopefully uh, you've been uh, getting a lot out of this series. It's been a lot of fun, but hopefully it's expanding your, your view of what the church is, what faith with friends is meant to be. I think uh, tonight and next week are especially important in our journey and just uh, hopefully will really speak uh, to our hearts and our minds and challenge us uh, to look at some of our preconceived uh, notions of what church is, what who God is, that we will come out of this evening uh, perhaps with more questions than we have answers. Um, if you open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, that's where we're going to be this evening, starting in verse 1. And uh, the first few verses are are really rich, and it's going to take us a little bit of time to get through it, but I really think that it is worth it. I think that it'll uh, help uh, just fertilize our minds with things that are from the Spirit, and and hopefully just uh, uh, give us confidence to embark into the wide open spaces of grace. Peter writes, he says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Those first couple of sentences have such magnitude and are, are, are just so loaded and have so many just kind of key words in there that, that if we're not careful, we could just kind of skip right over and miss the just the the pearl of of just a blessing that God has for us this evening, you know this idea of since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude that he had. Attitude is an amazing thing. Attitude is probably one of the biggest contributors to how you experience life. You see, there are all sorts of people who have experienced our church today, and no one has experienced in the, it in the same way. And for a large part of that, it is because of their attitude and, and what they brought in. I just came from Thomasville, Georgia, and our normal meeting uh, space was not available, and we met in a barn. I am a real southern pastor now. And, and we were talking and, and just saying, you know what? We're in a barn, and we could be, have a really crappy attitude about this. You know, it's cold, and, and, and it's not normal space and everything. But we sat around and said, you know what? Our attitude should be of anticipation that God has moved us from our normal space and we are open to a new place. And if we come in with this expectation that God is going to show up and speak into our hearts, whisper into our souls this evening that 
we can experience something exciting and new. And we did. You see, our attitude will, will determine many times what we experience. There's an inspirational speaker. His name is Zig Ziglar. You guys know who Zig Ziglar is? Some of you, if you don't know who Zig Ziglar is, look him up. He, he's a fantastic, inspirational speaker, wise man. And he said this once. He says, your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your altitude. Yeah, I like it. And, and this idea that it's not how good you are at something. It's not how proficient that that is going to determine how far you go in life or how well you follow Christ, but it is your attitude that's going to make all the difference. If you have an attitude of, of learning, of, of an attitude of humility, of being open, an attitude of anticipation, you are going to experience something very different than somebody who is arrogant, somebody who thinks they know it all and thinks they make zero mistakes. In fact, I think most of us in our mind would say, I wouldn't want anything to do with that person. So when we're told here that we must arm ourselves with the same attitude that Christ had, well, what was his attitude? His attitude toward what? Suffering. Now, none of us like to suffer, right? But suffering has a key element to, uh, to, to it. There is freedom in suffering. And we're told that through this suffering and, and through this attitude that we will be finished with sin. So how does that all work? Well, let me unpack this. And this is where it's going to take a little bit of time. Stick with me. This word, suffer, the Greek word there is pathos. Now, we all know this word because we've all, uh, we've all heard of pathology, right? Path in Greek is suffer. Ology is to study, right? So if somebody says, hey, I'm a pathologist, you're like, you study suffering? You're a sick individual, right? You know, that, 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 that's what that title is. That's what it means. Path is to suffer. Anology is to study. So a pathologist is someone who studies uh, suffering. Now, in the 12th century, 12th century scholars took this word path and, and realized in the Greek it was used in a lot of different ways. And that there was actually, when speaking about Jesus, when he came to the cross, this word pathos actually carried with it something more than just suffer. It's a willingness to suffer, a willingness to suffer for something greater. And you take that word, and it's a meaning to suffer, a passion, or to sacrifice. Now, this is where it gets good, okay? Sacrifice in the Latin. Sacrifice in the, in, in the Latin. Sacra means sacred, okay? And feist means to perform. And when you have the same attitude as Christ, and when we sacrifice for the things that he cares about, it's literally when we sacrifice, we're performing the sacred. Performing the sacred. 
at essence, this word suffer or passion is sacred suffering. Now let me go back and circle around and, and reread that verse with, with that new knowledge, that idea that, that, uh, that passion or suffering is a passion and, and a sacrifice, and a sacrifice is to perform the sacred. So passion and suffering, when we do it willingly for the things that matter to God, is a sacred suffering. So then, since Christ suffered, since Christ had a passion, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to have the same passion, be ready to perform the sacred, to engage in the sacred suffering. For if you have suffered, if you have the same passion as Christ, you are finished with sin. So what was Christ willing to suffer for? Relationship. That's why I came, right? To, to reestablish, to give us a path through suffering, through pathos, to pay the price so we would have the opportunity to be in relationship with our Creator. So how does this work? Why, 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 if we are willing to suffer when we participate in, a, in sacred suffering, when we perform the sacrifice, when we perform the sacred, how, how does that remove us from sin? Well, this is an important kind of uh, visualization that we all need to get to really truly understand this. You see, Sin is best understood, I think, as an archery term. Say that God's vision for your life is, is the target, and is actually the bullseye. And say that, that, that our, uh, we are the archer and, and our bow and arrow. That, that is our attitude, our behavior, our life. Now, most of us, you know, if you've ever shot a, a bow and arrow or anything... You, know, you want to hit the bullseye, right? I mean, we're not, we're not trying to hit Bambi off in the forest or something. Whoops. We're, we're not trying to shoot it into a tree or, or into the dirt. Our, our objective, we want to hit that bullseye. We want to put on the green tights and, and proclaim we are Robin Hood. I know you want to wear the green tights. Next week, everybody wear green tights. So you sit there and you concentrate. And you pull back. And you release that arrow. And when you release it, doesn't it feel good? There's like all this anticipation. You are going to hit that bullseye, and it's... And then you hear that audible, and you look, and you can't be sure, but you think you might have hit the bullseye. And you run up, and you see that there's just a little bit of a gap. Now, that gap 
has nothing to do with your intentions or your attire. It has everything to do with perhaps the distance you were away from the target, the training that you got, how much experience you had trying to hit the bullseye, or maybe outside forces of wind or rain has prevented you from hitting that bullseye. Theologically speaking, that space between the bullseye and your arrow is sin. It is the gap between the vision that God has for your life and what we actually do. So how can having a willingness to suffer, to perform the sacred, to, uh, to engage in sacred suffering, how could that remove us or close that gap? You see, this is where it gets really good. For those of you who've been around here for any length of time, you know I've gone through two major depressions in my life. The first one brought me to my knees and, uh, and I became a follower of Christ. The second one uh, refined some things that I just didn't know about myself. And during the first year, I was one broken, messy person. I was pretty messed up, and uh, I was actually seeing a, psych- a psychologist, and I was also seeing a pastor counselor. Now, it was very interesting each week seeing these two different men with very different attitudes toward my depression. And one thing that that was really difficult for me was was my mind. My mind would wander and and self-destructive behavior was just calling me all the time. Like I remember trying to sleep at night and and I would be sweating because just all this darkness in my life and all these things that I normally engaged with, I, they weren't part of my life anymore. But I, I, I was kind of, I was this, I had this hope of my salvation, and, but I also had this kind of just habit and addictions and, and all this darkness. And I, and, and I started having all these questions, and I didn't understand why I still was being pulled to this darkness. So I went to my psychologist and I asked him this question. Doc, why am I drawn to self-destructive behavior? I think it's a legit question, right? I even said, why aren't I like Mother Teresa? Why don't I stay up at night trying to figure out how to feed the poor? Why am I trying to figure out, you know, how I'm going to mess up my life? You know what he said to me? This is what he said. I don't know. How much am I paying you? Really? You don't know? You don't know why I want to engage in self-destructive behavior and Mother Teresa's in bleeding India, you know, with orphans? What's the difference, Doc? I don't know. 
Good Lord. So I went to my pastor counselor and I asked him the same question. Why am I drawn to self-destructive behavior? And I'm not sure what scripture he led me through. It may have been 1 Peter here. But he explained to me that there is power in a sacred suffering. You see, when we are willing to suffer, when we are willing to sacrifice, when we are willing to perform the sacred, that breaks the hold that sin has in our life. And you know what it does? You know that gap between the arrow and the bullseye? That when we engage in the sacred suffering, that gap is transformed from sin into grace. And it becomes one of the most beautiful things that any of us have ever experienced. And Peter speaks into this. He continues on and says, look, in verse 2, if you perform the sacred, you won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You will be Mother Teresa. You will have enough, you've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and their lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols, a.k.a. also known as self-destructive behavior, right? And that began a journey of the sacred suffering to perform the sacred for me. And every time I was willing to suffer, when I had the same attitude as Christ, the wide open spaces of grace grew. And sin and its hold and its desire shrank. Now, it came at a cost. You see... I had a bunch of friends who, let's just say, we enjoyed immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, and worshiping idols together. And when I started to perform the sacred, they didn't want to be around me anymore. In fact, the first couple of years of me following Christ was some of the greatest times and some of the loneliest times as my whole life was being turned upside down. You see, I had gone to a place where my friends could not go. You see, I had become small H holy, set aside for God's purpose. And the very nature of holiness is unholy things cannot exist in the same place.
place. I used to be very angry at them when they stopped returning my calls and stopped inviting me places. I'm not anymore. Because I understand that it was beyond their ability to humanly go where I was going. I also was kind of a nit. I was a little holier than thou in the beginning. So those two things kind of hurt. But I should have known this. If I would have opened my Bible a little bit more, God 2,000 years ago would have let me know. Check this out. Verse 4, of course your former friends are surprised that you no longer, listen to this, so poetic, plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things. I don't know, Peter, you almost make it sound like cool. Plunge into the flood of the wild and destructive things. Sign me up, right? All right. Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, okay. Sorry. Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things. So what? They slander you. They don't want to be with you anymore. But remember, they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. This is one time I wish we used the King James Version. You know the King James Version says there? The quick and the dead. It's a good Clint Eastwood movie. The quick and the dead. Quick means living, but, but that's pretty cool. They're like, quick in the dead. I always thought it was because if you weren't quick on the draw, you'd be dead, but that's not it. <laughs> so although they were destined to die like all people, because they were slow on the draw, they now live forever with God in spirit. This is kind of... This, this sentence here doesn't make any sense in the whole context of what Peter's talking about. He makes a total left turn here. And, and uh, he does this for the benefit of the original people uh, getting the letter. They, remember, they were on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. And one of the things that they were really concerned about was unfair advantage uh, of uh, just relationship with God. There was this kind of this, these arguments going on that, that people who actually walked with Christ and knew Christ uh, had an unfair advantage to going to heaven. And then remember when Pastor Dan last week was talking about Noah and stuff like that? They thought all the, all the people before Christ got a raw deal because they didn't hear the gospel and, and, and all this kind of stuff. So he was speaking directly into this certain situation. But I think that we've all experienced this, right? I mean, all of us who've been followers of Christ for any length of a time, that we've been asked the question like, well, what about all the people who lived before, you know, Jesus? Or what about the people in Zimbabwe who never heard of Jesus? Are they going to hell? Like, we've all got those questions, Right. Well, this is what Peter's talking about here. And it's so beautiful and it's so direct. And it's just a couple of sentences. That is why the good news was preached to those, the living and the dead. And really unpacking the idea that Peter is saying, you know what, the gospel has been preached long, was preached long before Christ walked this earth. And the gospel will be preached long after he walked this earth. 
In fact, our next series, it's called Unresolved. I'm really excited about it leading up to Easter. And we are going to be going through the Old Testament and pulling out the gospel of the Old Testament, of how God reconciled people to him. The good news, what is the good news? The good news is that God loves us and has made a way for us to be back in relationship with him, to be restored. And that's what Peter is talking about. And he continues on in verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, whenever somebody says most important at all of all, you should listen. Continue to show deep evil or deep love for the non-dyslexic, the people who haven't been blessed with dyslexia here. For each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. What Peter do, is doing here is echoing the most important commandment when Jesus is asked, Hey Jesus, what's the most important commandment of the prophets? The law of Moses, he said, lo holistically love God. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And equally as important, love your neighbor or your number as yourself. And, and Peter's like, this is the most important thing, that we are people of love, a people of relationship, that we have this passion, we have this attitude of Christ to have a passion for these relationships that we are willing to sacrifice, which means sacred, to perform, to perform the sacrifice, sacred suffering continues on. It says, cheerfully share your homes with those who need a meal or a place to stay. And then the last few sentences, the last couple of verses here. This is for us. This is so good. God has given each of you From his great variety of spiritual gifts, use them well to serve one another. See, God has given each and every one of us a gift to be the conduits of his love and mercy. That, that each and every one have been given something. But God is not a tyrant. You see, a lot of times we give out of compulsion. We give out of, you know, a, approval or need of approval. But God is not a tyrant requiring you to give something that you do not have. He only invites you to share what you have been given. And you may have the gift of hospitality or speaking or generosity, or giving. And he has not asked you to give something that you don't have or what someone else has. But he's asked you to share what he has entrusted to you as a, ser a service to his passion, us. 
says, do you have the gift of speaking? He gives an example. Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. You have the, the, the gift of music? Well, play as if Jimi Hendrix was playing through you. Well, like the Christian Jimi Hendrix. As Jesus was rocking through you. How about that? Do you have the gift of hospitality? Then fling open your doors and invite people and throw a, throw a banquet. Do you have the gift of generosity? Then, then give and be generous. Do you have the gift of serving? Then serve well. Serve as you are the literal, tangible hand of Christ. And then the next sentence, I think, is just so important. Do it with all the strength and energy God supplies. I've been a pastor for about 15 years, and I've seen people burn out in ministry. It's one of the saddest things that I've seen. It happens all the time, and it just breaks my heart. And I just wish we as a community, people who have faith with friends, that we would hold each other accountable to this. That, that we serve and give with what has been given. We share with what God has given to us. And we do it with the strength and energy that God supplies, not that you supply. When that voice starts creeping in and going like, well, this is a need, and, and if I don't, they won't, and all of these kind of things, that that is not from God. And you are on the fast track to burn out. That we need to speak into one another's lives and, and keep each other accountable and say, hey, are you giving out of your gift? Are you sharing out of the gift that God has given you? Are you serving with all the energy and power that God supplies? Because I want you to hear this. If you are serving God in your own power, your own strength, and your own energy. You know what that's called? Sin. Remember our definition of sin? It is the gap between what God has envisioned for your life and what you are actually experiencing. God is not a tyrant. He does not call you to give what share what you do not have, what he has not given. He just invites you to be part of what he has given, and he supplies the energy. He supplies the power. And if you are engaged in kingdom work any other way, and you are burning out, that is not from God. That is from you. And I understand it. I understand the pressure. I understand the applause and the approval that we get. I understand that when we come into a community and we love this community and we want to be part of this community, we want to see this community grow, so we give and we give. And at some point of the way, we never intend to, but, but 
we want to be accepted. And even though nobody has ever said that our approval or acceptance, something deep inside us, maybe when we were a child that, you know, our mother didn't love us enough or something like that, that we're yearning out. And let me tell you to this evening that that is not from God. That your approval is not based on what you give or what you do or who you are, but it is because who God is. Because God is good, and God is great, and God loves you. And I love the last sentence here. Then. Then. Everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus. Then everything you do will bring glory to Jesus. Now, we have to remember what came before because if I came up to you and said, hey, do you want everything you do to bring glory to God? The appropriate answer is yes. At least here it is. Then you got to do what? You got to, you got to, you got to, uh, Use the gifts that, that, or share the gifts that God has given you. Not what you do not have, not what somebody else has, but what you've been entrusted with. You want people to be pointed to God? Then you can't do it under your own power. You need to do it with the strength and energy God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And this just echoes the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And I'm just going to finish with this. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let me say it in a little bit different way, pulling some words out of the scripture from Peter. Let your attitude shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. How about this one? Let your willingness to suffer shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. How about this? Let your passion shine out for everyone to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Last one. Let your sacred suffering shine out for everyone to see. Why? Say it with me. So that everyone will praise our heavenly Father. Thank you. <laughs> 